Acts 9.43, if you remember from last week, Peter is resting in Joppa. He's kind of relaxing. The stress and the pressure is off of him. The persecution is not hitting him out there in Jerusalem. It was intense. But he's able to get away, and things are calm and restful and nice and tidy. Everything seems to be under control. It's nice when that happens. It's nice when you get up and there's no stress and you can just do what you need to do. And uh, really, a lot of great things were happening. Jews were getting saved basically almost every day. Uh, Miracles were happening. We saw last week where Tabitha uh, got raised from the dead and a man named Aeneas was, was healed. And These were great things happening. Peter could sit back and go, it's a good life. Peter had no idea, however, that God was about to do something that no one else could have predicted. God was going to open the door for the Gentiles everywhere to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and get saved, just like the Jews. Now, that may not be much to you, but it is a big deal, folks. And I'll say that over and over and over. The fact that we, way up here in Ireland, hear the gospel that was saving people in Israel is a big deal because the Jews don't care about anybody else. (laughs) It is, we're all very nationalistic. We're all very ethnocentric we only like people that are like us we only care about people who look like talk like and act like us so the jews were all man they're getting close to god things are happening but there's a whole world out there that's lost and god was going to push peter out of his comfort zone to witness to a to a to a gentile and this was unheard of uh The very fact that you and I are here today listening to the same gospel that Peter and Paul and Jesus preached is because of Peter's encounter with Cornelius. So let's meet Cornelius, okay? Acts chapter 10 now. Uh, Did I read verse 43, 943? I don't think I did. It came to pass that he, Peter, tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a Tanner. So Peter's sort of having an extended holiday maybe doing a bit of fishing, but he's sort of relaxing. In chapter 10, we meet a man named Cornelius, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. Uh, It's probably a very good-sounding band with bugles and trumpets. No, no. The Italian Band. All right, we'll talk about that in a second. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. All right, so we've got this guy named Cornelius. He's a centurion. He's a soldier. Now, you hear the word centurion. You ever hear the word century? Century means 100 years. Centurion means a 100-man man. He had 100 men under him, 100 soldiers under him. He was responsible for leading those 100 men to do whatever needed to be done in any kind of battle. He had great power. He had incredible authority. He could speak and people had to move. Or else he had a hundred men he could throw at you. He also was very wealthy. Uh, Centurion had a, was given a lot of money because he was usually very successful at what he did. And so here's this centurion. And I read in my Bible, there are four times that God mentions centurions. And every one of them have character. Every one of them are men of integrity. At the cross... The centurion who's standing guard so that nobody interfered with the crucifixion of Jesus. When he looked up at Jesus, he said, truly, this was the son of God. 
Even a centurion, Roman soldier, is able to see this is unlike any other man ever. Therefore, those, these men that are described in the Bible, they all seem to be men of character and integrity. He not only was a centurion, he was an Italian. All right? So he talks with his hands. You understand that? Right? He made a pizza. He and his men were part of a massive Italian band of men, a, a portion of the Roman army that, were, that occupied Israel and Syria. They were there as an occupying force. There were well over 6,000 men in this Italian band of men who were, had a lock-tight grip on Israel and Syria. He was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. Now, you've you got to understand, God had divided the world into two kinds of people. Those who were God's people and those who were not. And God's people were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call them Israelites. Gentiles were all other nations and cultures and languages, including the Irish. He was a Gentile. He also was living in Caesarea. It's a city. Um, let me go back up. I, have, I thought I had a map here. It's a city 28 miles north of Joppa, where Peter was. It's along the coast of the Mediterranean. And 28 miles, I was thinking about how far away that is. People walked everywhere. Not everybody had horses, okay? So that's like going from here to the far side of Macroom by foot. That's a bit of a distance, you understand? So that's where Cornelius is. And think about it. I mean, Peter's going to meet him. And ultimately, Peter's going to give the gospel to him. That's a long distance to take the gospel. Well, God sort of gets things in motion by doing things the opposite of what we expect. Let's keep going. Uh, he was devout. Did you read there? Chapter 10, he says, verse 2. He was a devout man. One that feared not the gods. That's what normal Romans did. But he'd feared God with all his house. Boy, that's very important. We'll come back to that next week. Which gave alms, much alms to the people. Guess what kind of people he was given to? The Jewish people. The people he was... He was an authority over the people that Caesar and the Romans were abusing. And when he saw a problem, he personally gave to their needs. He was a giver. And he went on. It says, and he prayed to God always. I mean, that's a devout man. Now, I'm going to say something here. Too many people think strong men, masculine men, don't care about God. And they feel like they're just fine without any religion. Well, I call those fools. God actually calls them fools. The more manly, the more atheist. That's what people think. I don't believe in God. God's for sissies. Really? Well, not true. Not throughout, not throughout history. Here is a fierce fighting soldier who is a devout worshiper of God Almighty. He's not a Catholic man. We always use talk about devout Catholic and devout Protestant. This man is not Catholic. He's not Protestant. He's not Baptist. He's just a devout worshiper of God. Not just any God either, because he had a lot of gods to choose from. All the Roman gods were very uh, popular. Jupiter and Venus and Mars and Neptune. You ever hear, read that book, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Well, before that book was written, there were. Venus was the god of love and Mars was the god of war. These were Roman gods. Apollo. Even Caesar claimed to be a god. He called himself Lord. He said, call me Lord Caesar. 
He wanted people to worship him. He even required that Roman soldiers had a statue, a bust of the head of Caesar, and every morning he had to wake up and say, my Lord. They talked to the, talked to the statue. But Cornelius evidently heard the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, was convinced that the God of the Jewish people was the God to worship. That is amazing to me. His devotion was deep and serious. It wasn't superficial like most of ours. Many of you carry your Bibles, and I'm glad you bring them to church. But do you read them? It has been found out that they have interviewed people who were honest, and out of tens of thousands of people that were interviewed in America, less than 5% read their Bible every day. Actually, 2%. 5% read it every week, and the rest just have a Bible. You see, there are people who are superficially devout, and there are people who are really devout. He was a giver. He feared God. I mean, if you have 100 men behind you, who are you going to fear? Nobody's going to steal your chariot. Nobody's going to break into your house. And yet he feared God. He prayed and depended upon the God of Israel. This centurion was an amazing man, but there's one thing that we're going to learn. He rejected all those gods, and he chose the God of the Bible, but he was still very lost. And you'll understand this more in the next portion of Scripture. Keep reading in verse 3. Cornelius has a vision from God. Verse 3, it says, And he saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day. Now, ninth hour, Roman time, you count from 6 a.m., nine hours, and that puts you at 3 p.m. That's the ninth hour of the day. Don't you wish it was just, you know, when we say ninth hour, we think of 9 a.m. or 9 p.m., but it's from sunrise to 3 p.m. About the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he had looked on him, he was afraid. Yeah, I mean, you have somebody talking to you who just came through the walls. Yeah, you'd be afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now, Cornelius has a vision from God. And this angel starts talking to him. Now, you know, some people think that angels talk to them today. They don't. Demons do. And bad dreams do, bad pizza will cause a vision. <laughs> but Cornelius had, a, had a, an angel talking to him. And it's not a normal thing to have an angel talking to a Gentile. Now, in, throughout my Bible, I find angels and, and, and visions and dreams and voices speaking to prophets and to kings. You find, you find an angel talking to Zechariah, remember that? You're going to have a son, he's going to be great. Have another angel talking to Mary. You have these angels, but they're all Jews. You understand that? Here comes somebody talking to a Gentile and one of the most hated Gentiles next to a publican. Here is a Gentile soldier of an eye. It's like, let's go back to 1915, and the blood is boiling in Ireland, and the British are really trying to hold on, and they're going to occupy Ireland, and then God giving them attention instead of to the Irish. That's the kind of situation God is giving attention to a devout Italian. 
Um, here's God sending an angel specifically to speak and to warn this Italian man named Cornelius. And the angel reveals, watch what he says there in uh, verse 4. And when he looked, upon him, looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And this angel said this, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. That angel just says, you know what? Your prayers are being heard in heaven. That's a, that's a crazy thing to hear. Even a lost man's prayers are not wasted. When he's got his right focus and he's got his, a right heart, let me tell you, this is a revelation. God does hear the prayer of lost people, especially when they're trying to find him. Do you understand that? That is breathtaking. Then he says something that is actually even more breathtaking. Verse, uh, uh, verse 5. Oh, wait, wait. I want to say verse 4. He says, thy prayer, thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. You have reminded God of a promise he made. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. We'll come to back to Acts in a moment. But a couple of scriptures, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. We call that the promised land. Verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And watch this. And I will curse them that curse thee. Curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall how many families? All families of not just Israel, but of the earth be blessed. Let's go to another one. Let's go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. I have found as I've read my Bible that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Have you found that to be true? God doesn't just say things like we do. Oh, yeah, 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 I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> Half an hour later, we're still not coming. When God makes a promise. He keeps, us, keeps it. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Speaking of the Messiah, God says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect. People talk about the elect. Well, Jesus was God's elect, folks. In whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And judgment doesn't always mean con condemnation. Judgment means defense. Judgment means salvation. And he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Verse 2 is quoted. All of these verses are quoted in Matthew chapter 4. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. He's not going to do this aggressively. And the smoking flax... Like a candle shall not shall he not quench. He shall bring, bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail. I like that. Nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth and the Irish shall wait for his law. That's the Isles. Isn't that cool? It's going everywhere. Whatever Jesus is going to do is supposed to go everywhere. Go to chapter 42, verse 6. Verse 6 says, And I, I the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, called the Messiah, and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee a covenant. Give thee, I'll give you up for a covenant of the people for a light to the who? 
All right, so here's a Jew. He's reading his Hebrew scriptures in Hebrew, and he reads this word, word over and over, Gentile, Gentile, Gentile. And to a Jew, it's like, I can't say that word, Ugh, Gentile. And yet God says, I'm going to give my servant for the Gentiles and, and deliver them. It was unbelievable. Look at chapter 49, Isaiah 49 and verse 6. He said, God said, it is a light thing. Thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Okay, so we know Israel there. To restore and preserve the preserved of Israel. But I will also give thee for a light to the who? So the Messiah is going to come to save Israel, but he's going to come to be a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. These were promises God made that the Jews did not want to think about. They never preached. They never taught on. They never ever accepted that God wanted to save everybody. So let's go back to Acts chapter 10. And the angel says, you need to send for a preacher. Acts chapter 10. That used to be a common phrase uh, in America. Here in Ireland, they say, send for a priest. <laughs> but in America, it was send for the preacher. And Acts chapter 10, go back there in um, uh, verse 5. Now, send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. We call him Simon Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. You need somebody to tell you what to do next. This devout worshiper of God hit a wall. He could only go so far. He knew bits and pieces of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew scriptures. He probably was learning Hebrew. I mean, if you're going to occupy the people, you need to speak their language. And he's impressed with the God of Israel, but he doesn't know how to get saved. You need to call for a preacher. You need to call for somebody who can explain to you the gospel. Um, why? Because Cornelius, as I said there, was lost. Don't be fooled. Just because somebody is very devoted religiously in Ireland, listen, I wish we could go back 50 years and have an Ireland again that was devout and was moral and did fear God. But don't you believe for a second that devotion and prayers and morality and sincerity get you to heaven. This world needs a good dose of morality. This world needs a good dose of the fear of God. But just because somebody's in church every week and just because somebody's constantly praying and constantly giving doesn't make them saved. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? In the end, the best of us are wretched. Lost, blind, without hope, without God. We must be born again. There's nobody that's not included. Cornelius was lost. Peter explains this in chapter 11. We'll deal with it more in a few weeks. But in Acts chapter 11, just, just run ahead there, verse 11. Acts 11 and verse 11. Peter is having to explain himself. He has just been rebuked and and. People are gathering around him saying, how dare you go eat with a Gentile? And Peter's going over and explaining what happened. Verse Chapter 11 and verse 11. Behold, immediately there were three men already. Let me go back. Let me go back. 
we're going to hear this and just, uh, uh, I don't want to do all that because uh, I'll talk about it in a minute. Verse 11, and behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, Cornelius, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Here's a guy who knows my name, who calls for me by name, verse 14, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Peter said, how can I argue with somebody who wants me to tell him how to get saved? Cornelius was lost. He doesn't know it, but he needs to hear about Jesus dying in this place. That's the gospel. He's doing all the right things. Is it wrong to pray? Yes or no? No. Is it wrong to give away money to people who are in need? No. Is it wrong to worship almighty God in heaven? All right. He's doing all the right things. But he wasn't born again. That's what's missing in people's minds. They think, well, if I just go to church, if I just start praying more, if I'm just a better person, if I just start giving away more money, that's not what God asks of you. That is expected. But what God says is you must be born again. You're lost without hope. Your soul is sin cursed. The only way to be get washed is in the blood of Jesus Christ, not in more good works. Cornelius is a great revelation to a Jew that the worst can get saved, not just the good. So Cornelius, I have to go look at this. Go, go back to chapter 10. I'll show you something that really blessed me. All right, so verse 2, look in verse 2. It says, he was the devout man, one that feared God with how many people? Wow. So here's, here's a soldier, and it's true. Military families usually have, they, they usually take home their military training. <laughs> and they get everybody in line at home, just like they're in line at, at work at, in the military. And that whole family is devout in worshiping God just like he is. That's a good thing. Would you agree? Amen. Go down a little bit further and look at verse 7 says this, and when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and another soldier. But not just any soldier. What does he call him? There's another devout soldier with him. He's got an influence, doesn't he? Oh, that we realize that the world has taken over our job and influenced this generation. When we're supposed to be the influencers. What did Jesus call us? Lights. Set on a hill, salt of the earth. We should be influencing. How many eat an egg in the morning without salt? Probably none of you, unless you got high cholesterol. I don't know. You want to eat eggs. You put that salt on there and it flavors. It influences the flavor of that egg. It influences almost all the food, almost everything we were talking yesterday. Somebody says, what's on these potatoes? And somebody said, salt and pepper. Uh, well, what's on this? Salt and pepper. And what's flavoring this? Salt and pepper. We put that everywhere, don't we? Because salt, good to see you, Papa. Nice to see you all over there. How's your wife? Good. Praise the Lord. Amen. You getting any sleep at all? That's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> God bless you. We're supposed to be the influencers. He influenced not only his home, 
but he influenced another Italian Gentile Roman soldier to be devout as well. Isn't that crazy? He's got a hundred men he can influence, and guess what he does? He influences them. That's great. You may be an employer at a job. You may have people working for you. You say, oh, I can't witness on the job. When you're not working and it's lunchtime, influence. Be an influence. Talk to people. Give God's side of the story. An unsaved man is probably a better soul winner here than we ever are. That was convicting to me. Now we come along and now Peter has a vision. Verse 9. Uh, did I read the rest of it? I better read verse 7, 8 uh, just to catch up. And then the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed. He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he told them, I had this dream. I got to go get Peter. Would you go for me? He sent them to Joppa. Now verse 9 picks up. And Peter has a vision. We'll read all the way down to verse 16. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up onto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, if you tried to do that, you'd slide right off. Because our house tops are usually pretty flat, okay? I mean, pretty slanted. But in the Middle East and in a lot of other countries, their housetop is flat. They go up there in the cool of the day. That's where they have their life. They don't sit inside all the time. Uh, so it's about the sixth hour, which is noon, and he's going to go up waiting for dinner, verse, uh, for lunch. In verse 10, and he became very hungry, and he would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. All right, so he starts to see stuff and hear stuff. Verse 11, and he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending upon, unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein, wherein were all manner, you got a word, see that word all, all kinds of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts ugh, and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed. That call not thou common or unclean. This was done three times, thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Peter's got a strange vision. It's, a, it's the next day around noon, and the three men from Cornelius are still on their way. They're coming. They've walked 28 miles. I don't know how long that takes, but it's several hours, probably six hours, eight hours. They've gone and, and stopped and stayed overnight and come along and Peter is hungry. He's waiting for lunch, okay? It's like some of you right now, right? Mention food and you're off into a la-la land. But he has this vision while he's hungry. Sky splits open. Something starts descending out of the sky and it's floating down to Peter and it's a sheet like a tablecloth but it's like a, like a parachute upside down. It's got the four corners of the tablecloth tied to something, and this tablecloth is descending full of animals, birds, and bugs. Some of them are good animals, healthy animals. Angus cow, amen. Mm. Um, 
Some of them are not so healthy animals. Some of them are very unhealthy and unclean animals. And it's sitting down right in front of a hungry Peter. Now, they didn't have McDonald's in those days, so if you wanted food, you had to fix it. You had to kill it and cook it and eat it. And the, and the, the voice says, rise, kill it, and eat. Here, you've got some potential steaks and burgers. You've got pheasants and bacon and ham and sausages and pepperoni and salami and rashers and chicken wings. Right there looking at him. And Peter argues with the Lord. Now, I don't say you should do this. All right? <laughs> but here's a voice saying, do this. And Peter says, I am not. I mean, wow. I want you to understand, this is a great picture of when the Lord asks you to do something, it just goes against you. It's like, that's, that's not what I want, Lord. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Especially when it comes to soul winning. Giving the gospel to somebody you don't want to. Forgiving somebody you don't want to. Sitting next to somebody you don't want to. Did I say something? Peter says, there are so many unclean animals in that sheet, Lord. I've never eaten anything that you told us not to eat. I've never done that. And it is true. God had explicitly commanded his people in the law to not eat scavengers and unhealthy animals and bugs. God actually made it a sin to eat pork, catfish, and shellfish. And that's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, God's dietary laws kept the Jews free from the majority of diseases that the rest of the world has struggled with throughout time. So understand, Peter had never eaten pork or lobster or clams or crab or oysters or catfish or scampi or scallops any of his life. He had never done that. Yet the voice from heaven said, all of those animals and birds and bugs have now been cleansed. Don't call them unclean or sinful anymore, Peter, because every one of those unclean animals are now lawful for you to eat, and it won't be a sin if you do. Now, it'll still kill you, but it won't be a sin. Got to understand where this is going. How can this be? What could have changed? Did the animals magically become healthy? Now, in America, when I grew up, we ate something called catfish. Does anybody know what a catfish is? All right, the reason why they call it catfish because they got long whiskers, and they're a big fish, and they really are quite delicious especially if they're cooked well. Do you know the problem with catfish? A catfish is a bottom feeder, which means at the bottom of a river, bottom of a lake, after all the other birds have done, uh, birds, well, yeah, birds and the fish have done their business and it all floats down to the bottom, the catfish eats the refuse and the excrement of everything else. Now, my mama never told me that when I was enjoying catfish. She said, eat your catfish, and I thought it was the best thing. But it's a scavenger. It is an unhealthy creature to eat because you're eating the death of other creatures. You're not eating life, and it could hurt you. Pigs normally were given the last of the last of the last of the food. That was the worst of the food, and then people would eat them. Pigs were not healthy. So God knew what he was doing when he made all of these laws. And those... The, the pigs didn't naturally become healthy. Catfish didn't all of a sudden start swimming at the top. Not That stuff didn't change. Did the laws change? Yes. Something has been done so the law could be finished. The law could be set aside. It had been fulfilled. The law wasn't something that, that, that was just in, 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 in place 
and that everybody's got to do when somebody could come along and fulfill it and say, here, now I've done it, you can go free. And this was what the blood of Jesus Christ was going to be understood as. How many times did Peter have to hear this? Because he keeps shaking his head. How many times did God have to drop this sheet down full of animals saying, rise, kill and eat? How many times? Three times. He's looking at it. God's saying, get it. And my mom never repeated anything more than once. And if she ever did repeat it, I was in trouble. God's repeating this three times because it was a big deal. Do you understand? He was leading to a great revelation of the New Testament gospel truth. And Peter here learns to soul win by faith, not by understanding. Look in verse 17. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, I mean, he's like, what did I just see? Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Saul's house, and they stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. Kind of interesting. Just stop there for a second and realize Peter doesn't know what this vision means. His understanding of the cross was, was very narrow in its focus. That Jesus died to take away Israel's sins. That's all he thought about. That's all he thought. He, oh, and I'll be quite honest with you. When I got saved, I started to see my friends at school. I was working. I started to see my boss and other people as in need of the gospel. But not once did I think that there was somebody on the other side of the world that also needed the gospel. Not once did I think at the time that I got saved back in 1980, the world population was somewhere around, there's less than 5 billion people. And not once did I think of anyone in Ireland, not, not anybody in Scotland or in France or in Africa or in Asia. Not once did I think of them. I only thought of the people right around me. That's not, a, that's not wrong. Let me just say this. But it took a, about a couple months later where we had a missions conference, which had a lot of missionaries, and they started to show pictures of people in Zaire, in Brazil, in Indonesia, and in Japan. And in Kenya, and in South Africa, and in the Congo. And they showed all these people that were just as lost as I had been. And my eyes opened, and I remember the Lord saying, are you ready? And I said, let's go. And that's how come I'm here today. Because I, I didn't know what soul winning, how far I would go, or where it would take me. God had to show me there's a world that was lost. And Peter had to see the same thing. He had a knock here to knock on the gate. Somebody's knocking outside. Some men are looking for him. And usually, especially if they got a blue shirt, it's a bad thing, you know, Ligarda. He's got somebody looking for him. Let's keep reading there. And where did I leave off? Uh, verse 18. And they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. Verse 19. And while Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, get off the roof, <laughs> and go with them, doubting nothing. Don't hesitate. Don't doubt what I'm showing you. Just believe, for I have sent them. This is breathtaking. Do you know in Acts chapter 16, Paul has a vision, and he hears a voice across the Aegean Sea over in Philippi. Macedonia, and what is the Macedonian man crying out? Come over and help me. 
Well, Peter's got a vision of somebody saying, come and help me now. God is working even when we don't know. God is already working on other people, preparing them so that when we go, they're ready to hear. Watch this. Uh, uh, mm. The man explained, uh, he, the Holy Spirit says, go with them. And the men explained why they're there. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent, for, which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he you see, whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? Why are you here? Verse 22. And they said, and here's the word, Cornelius. Remember that name, the centurion. A just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, as if to say he's not your enemy. He's a good guy. He was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. What an amazing thing. I mean, I like it when I knock on a door or when I'm talking to somebody and they turn to me and they say, keep going. But it'd be really cool if somebody came to my house saying, uh, I kind of I couldn't sleep last night and I... I this, this gospel leaflet that somebody handed me kept haunting me and it has your address. So I came to ask you, how do I get saved? Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> well, that's what Peter's experiencing. The opposite of what we usually try to do. We're trying to wake people up and God's trying to wake the Christian up and say, care about this man. Amazingly, Peter agrees to go. Verse, where are we? Uh, verse 23. Then called he them in, and he lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away uh, with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied them. So Peter agrees to go, and we'll learn what happens next week, okay? Same bat channel, same bat time. So what's going on here? There are six things that Peter did not know. Number one, that Christ had not only cleansed Israel and made a way for the entire nation of Israel to get saved from their sins. He knew that uh, he did not know that Christ had not only cleansed them, but that he had cleansed unclean animals. What does that mean? It means there's a section of the Old Testament law that now is finished. Amen. You don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't have to keep the dietary laws. By the way, it is good to have a Sabbath. Amen. It is good to not eat all of the scavenger animals. It's not sin anymore, but it still can wreak havoc on your intestines. But Christ's death, now he, he did not know that Christ's death had cleansed all people, all nations, and all cultures so that they were no longer unclean. Anybody could get saved now. There was no wall stopping a Jewish believer from giving the gospel to anybody. That was revolutionary. Anybody could get saved. God was opening the door to all Gentiles, no matter how lost, to come to God now. Go to Romans chapter 3. We're finished here. Go to Romans, just a few pages to the right. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Four real quick truths about the opening of the gospel. Romans 3 and verse 9. Here's the truth. All people everywhere are under sin. Verse 9, what then? Are we Jews better than they, the Gentiles? 
No, in no wise. For we have both, we have before proved back in chapter one that they are all under sin. So there is no difference between you, me, Jew, Gentile, Irish, American, Texan. We're all sinners. We are all under the dominion of sin, and we're in serious trouble with God. You know what? The hardest thing to convince somebody, I don't have, I don't have a hard time convincing people there's a God. I have a hard time convincing people they're in trouble with him. You see, they're struggling with that truth. That's why they keep going, I don't believe in God. What they mean is, I don't want there to be a God. The real problem is convincing a man that he's in trouble with God and he's going to hell. Look down to the next verse, verse 20, not the next verse, but down to verse 29, still in Romans chapter 3, verse 29. Paul says that God is the God of everybody, including the Gentiles. Is he the God of the Jews only? What a great question. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, he is the God of the Gentiles only. Also, he is our God too. We don't need an Irish God, an American God, a Catholic God, a Protestant God, a Muslim God. There's only one God. He is the God of all, and they all have to deal with him. Third point, look in verse 30, next verse. Still in chapter 3, verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision. Who are they? The Jews. By faith. And the uncircumcision. Who are they? Through faith. You know, the Jews get saved by faith. I get saved through the faith of Christ. It's absolutely breathtaking. I could talk all day. But we all need the same Savior. One more. Verse, chapter 10, verse 12. Romans chapter 10 and verse 12. Look at verse 11, just, just for reference here. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, you know, there are religious groups out there all the time who are saying, whosoever is limited only to the elect. Whosoever is limited only to the Jews. No, 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 no. Look at the next verse. Whosoever believeth on him, I'm sorry, uh, shall not be ashamed. Verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him who they've not heard, believed? How shall they believe on him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a Peter, without a preacher, without a soul winner? So. Peter did not know that God was opening all the doors to all the Gentiles everywhere and that there's no difference now between Israelites and Gentiles. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Giving you some Bible this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Most people go to church just for a good feeling. You got to come here for facts. You got to come here to know what is right, what is true, so you can believe with all your heart. I was talking to somebody this week, and they were struggling saying, how do you know what to believe? I said, well, you don't worry about the feel. Don't worry about, do I feel it? Do I feel it? Is it based upon fact? You get into an airplane because you believe in the fact that it's going to fly. Amen? And now you sit in there and you put the seatbelt on and you don't panic because you're trusting facts. That there were people out there just a little while ago checking all the engine. They were checking out checklists, make sure everything's right. And then you fly. You get in your car trusting the fact that the combustible engine is safe. 
there's explosions going on inside, but it's controlled. And you trust fact. That's faith. Faith is not blind. Faith trusts the facts to the next level. And here, when it comes to getting this kind of stuff, and you say doctrine, doctrine, these are the facts. So that when it comes time that you don't know what to do, you can go back and go, I know that God is in control. I know that the God who wrote the Bible is true and he gave me the promises and I believe them because they're established in fact. Look at verse chapter 12, verse 13. First Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And I'm not talking about just Irish. Whether we be Jews or what? There we are. Whether we be bond, slave, or free men. And we've all been made to drink into one spirit. Look at John. Well, I remember John 3.16. Can you quote it with me? For God so loved the Jews. For God so loved the world. Isn't that now got a bigger meaning? That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever has got a bigger meaning now, doesn't it? Believeth in him. Should not perish, but have ever lasting life. Lastly, Peter did not know how hard it was going to be to convince other Jewish Christians to value the souls of the lost Gentiles around them. He's going to take two chapters. Actually, there's going to be another chapter where he's having to convince, and Paul's having to convince Jewish believers, Gentiles have souls too. And let's go get them. Don't be the same. Don't you dare be the same. Like, like Peter and the other, other Jews were towards people that are not like you. Christianity has a problem with racism as well. We look at people and we go, nah, they're not worth it. See, if God called you, like God called me to come to Ireland. What if God called me? And I always wanted God to call me to a place called Myanmar, Burma. What if I had said, Lord, I'll go anywhere except Burma. I don't think they're good people. I don't think they're very nice people. I don't think they're worth me dying for. That's racism. That's me determining who I'll go to and who I'll witness to and who I'll love. And Peter's going to learn, I've got to love everybody. I've got to love and win everybody. What changed? As I said, the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles has now changed. There were so many laws in the Old Testament against eating with Gentiles, mixing with Gentiles, being with them, but not anymore. There's now a third group. Remember, I said God divided the world into two groups. Remember? God's people and those not God's people, right? Jew and Gentile. And now there's a third one. Let's go look at Colossians chapter 3. Well, you're in 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Go there first. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I said 10, 13. It's not where I want to be. 10, 32. 10, 32. 1 Corinthians 10, 32, give none offense, neither to the, number one, who are they? The Jews, nor to the Gentiles, and nor to the, here's the third group now, the church of God. There's a third group in the world now. Let's go to another one. Uh, Colossians 1, 13. Colossians 1, 13. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 1, 13. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, and then there are those who are in the kingdom of God's Son. Look at Colossians 1.13. 1 
who, it's not a question, it's he who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, us being Jew and Gentile, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You want to you be a Jew? You go right ahead, be whatever you want. You want to stay a Gentile? You go right ahead. I've been saved and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. What the Bible calls, I'm a brand new creature. If any man be in Christ, he's a, he's a new creature on the planet, man. There were Jews and there were Gentiles, and now we got these Christians. Amen. Ephesians, go back a few pages. Last thought. See, God will take Jews, and God will take us Gentiles. And any one of us can approach under the throne of God now and get saved and become holy. You don't have to become a Jew first. You don't have to understand the old, entire Old Testament first. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, talking to the Gentiles, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand. So the Jews called you uncircumcised, verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't even know what you were missing from the wealth of Israel. And you were strangers from the covenants of all God's promises, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, talking to Gentiles, ye who sometimes were far off have been made nigh, near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one. Both what? both Jew and Gentile, we've now been made one. You see, a Jew is trying to become a better Jew. And a Gentile is trying to be a better religious Gentile. And neither one of them work. You must be born again to become a Christian. Keep going. Verse 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh, in Christ's flesh, all the enmity, the warfare, even the law of commandments contained in all the ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. You know, the truth is, what changed? All of the expectations of perfection. Say, so you, don't you have to be perfect go to heaven? Yes, you do. But the perfections were accomplished by Jesus. All you have to do is trust him and you go straight in. Isn't that marvelous? That's the good news. And when you understand just how lost you are, you appreciate just how marvelous that good news is. So by way of conclusion, we've got the example of Cornelius here. He's someone who was not a Jew. He's just like you and me. And this man is proof that God always gets the gospel to people who want to hear it and are looking for him. God sends people to people who are looking for God. But thankfully, he also sends us to people who are not looking for God because I don't know who's looking for God. Do you know? Bill, do you know? Oh, that great guy's working for God. That guy's not looking for God. I don't know. Ignore him. You can't tell. I'm glad God goes to everybody. But if somebody, I don't care if they're in deepest, darkest Indonesia, God will get somebody to the gospel, with the gospel to them if they're looking for him. That's what God does. That's called the proof of Cornelius. Cornelius even though he was religious, he was as lost as Hitler. As devout as he was, as religious as he was, 
He was not saved, folks. He was not good enough. He needed to believe the gospel and get born again. So I want to ask you to think for a moment. Don't you wait for an angel to warn you. I mean, some of you are sitting there. I'm not going to get saved. But if an angel talked to me, I might consider it. No, no, don't wait for an angel. God sent me. <laughs> I'm pleading with you. I'm warning you. I'm the one, as angelic as I may look. I am here to get you to get saved, just like Peter's going to get Cornelius saved. Amen? Don't you wait for an angel. A lot of people are waiting for an angelic revelation. It ain't coming unless it's from a demon. And dear Christian, don't try and figure out who's, who to give the gospel to. Just go and tell anyone. Tell them there's a God in heaven that if they're looking for him, they'll find him in Jesus. And they'll find forgiveness. They'll find life in him. Stand with me. Bow in prayer, would you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just think for a second. Somebody gave you the gospel. Somebody got out of their comfort zone and came looking, knocking on your door, looking for you. You know, I, God made it so that you almost did nothing. God was looking for you. But maybe there are some people in this room who are looking for God. They're struggling. They're trying to be good and they're failing. They know that they feel worthless. They feel like they hit a wall every time they try to get rid of some sin or have victory over sin or, or attitude. Or, I mean, I get frustrated every day. It's like, why did I say that? What did I do? What am I doing? Well, if you're looking for God, let me tell you, God's trying to get your attention right now. It's not by accident that you're here this morning. As we're going to see next week, we're going to listen as, as Peter pours his heart out, he preaches a very long message, and he goes through so much detail. And while he's preaching, Cornelius doesn't even wait for the invitation. Cornelius starts crying out to God to save him in his heart. And the Holy Spirit falls, and Cornelius gets saved, and his whole house gets saved. And Peter says, what just happened? You see, you don't have to wait for me. You know that you know that this book is telling you you must get saved. Do it today. How do I do it? Just believe that Jesus died for you was buried and rose again to save a wretch like you. And all you have to do is ask him. Bow your head with him. Broken heart saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm not nearly as good as Cornelius, but if you'll take me, I want you. Please save me. It'll work, dear friend. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's got your name in it. And dear Christian, wouldn't it be amazing if we just went every day with a gospel track and handed it out to somebody you might meet more people looking for God than you think. Father, bless this message to our heart. God, thank you that Peter obeyed. He argued with you, but in the end, he went forward and the first Gentile gets saved. Man, it wasn't the end. We're the, we're the, the end product. It, it went all the way to Ireland. Got all the way around the world. Just because of Peter obeying, not understanding, but by faith going. And he's going to tell the story and it will work. And I pray that we would believe it will work still today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's grab our hymnal.